near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Near-Death Experience Podcast, item number 372. January 1st, 2022, the NDE of Russell Ricks. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side, as well as the music album Home. And today we have the opportunity to have Russell Ricks with us, who is an experiencer, and he's going to share his experience with us. Welcome, Russell. Hi, Chas. Well, Russ, why don't you go ahead and uh, share your experience with us? All right. Well, um, actually, before my experience happened when I was eight years old, but I want to go back a few years before that first because it, it's significant. Um before I could even really form words, I have this memory. I've had it, you know, all my life, and I've never forgotten it. And I didn't tell a soul until I shared it with my wife a few months before my mom passed away, which has been uh, three or four years ago now. Um, and uh, and so it was my second wife, my first wife and her family, I did not share this with. Uh, I shared my near-death-like experience with them. And um, they, uh, surprisingly, they didn't uh, take it well. And uh, and so this other thing that I'm about to talk about, I've kept to myself until just a few years ago when I shared it with my wife and then my mom before she passed away. Well, my mother, um, she had this gifted, gifted voice, and, and she eventually made her way to Hollywood and studied in Hollywood for a while um, from a voice uh, instructor and was invited to be an extra uh, and work at Warner Brothers. She was going that direction, and then her voice coach said, you know, your, your acting and singing career has to come first and family comes second. Well, mom mm-hmm. thought, well... Then in that case, this is not what I want. And she went back home. I was raised in Idaho. She went to Rick's College, met my father, had, and then they had seven children. And mom used her gift of singing, and she could sing like an angel. She would sing to us every day, sing at funerals, uh, a church, you know, choir, whatever. Um, but I, my father was a full-time artist, which I am too. And so my father would paint, my mom would sing every day. I was, I grew up with that. But I have this unusual memory of people dressed in white coming into our home and surrounding my mother as she sang. Oh, wow. And uh, 
they were like they were like us, but they were not solid. You know, I could tell that they were what we would call spirit. And uh, I I was so young um, that I mean, and and I do have this memory uh, that I was I was not old enough to really form words. If I could say one or two words, you know, maybe I couldn't form sentences because I remember how frustrated I was trying to get the attention of my family wanting to know who these people dressed in white were and then I, after a while I realized well I'm the only one that can see them and um, it seemed to happen for a period of maybe three or four months and then I didn't see them anymore well I kept this memory to myself and then uh, I, I started school late I was uh, my parents could tell that I um, was underdeveloped socially um, but um, at the age of seven, I attended first grade, and that that first grade year was awful. I, I, I was raised in a loving home, but I soon learned that outside my home, it, the world was cruel and abusive. At least that's the way it was towards me. I would try to make a friend, and it would backfire, and I'd end up getting beat up, and my first grade teacher would literally bust wooden yardsticks over my head sometimes several times a week and go to the hardware store and get more free yardsticks and uh, bust them on my head again and you know after that first year of school it was you know I don't you know I don't want to do this again and uh, so my I was born in July and uh, at my baptism uh, I, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and and we're usually baptized at around eight years old. And at my baptism, I remember having some special feelings. I, I think I felt for the first time. And I identified those feelings that I felt inside as God or his spirit. And um, then, um, so one night, uh, after trying to argue with my parents about not going back to school because I realized in a few weeks school would be starting up again and I would have to face that awful situation and I didn't want to but my parents said well we have it's, it's the law you have to go to school and dad said oh you just gotta be tough you know but it wasn't that easy for a little eight year old boy um, you know to face that kind of thing and if it wasn't physical abuse every day it was emotional abuse from the teacher and from my peers and I would get so frustrated, I couldn't understand why they were developing socially so much further ahead, and I was lagging behind. There were, I just didn't get certain things, and for some reason I just couldn't catch on, and I, I, I just didn't have that ability like all my peers. And uh, um, anyway, I... Uh, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. I was distracted for a second. My wife sent me a text message. You're, You're fine. Funny. You're fine. <laughs> anyway, apologize. So, uh, so anyway, one night I was thinking about my baptism and how I felt those wonderful feelings, and uh, and then I thought, well, you know what? If that experience I had when if, if if that was God's spirit, then he must be real. And that experience I had when I was a younger boy was real. Then God has to be real. And if anyone can help me out of this mess, 
he can. So that night, I got on my knees to the side of my bed, and I pled with God and said, Heavenly Father, the way I see this, either you've got to take this away somehow, because I don't, I won't face another day of this again. I, I, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to not have faced that again, and, and I, I know there's not a whole lot I can do, so I'm calling on you if they're, if they're, Either you got to take this away from me somehow, this abuse, or take me away. And I said, I know it's wrong for me to take my life, but if you take me, then it's okay. And I just begged him to take me. And I climbed in bed and cried myself to sleep. And, you know, there's that that moment when you're just about ready to sink into a deep sleep. And you sometimes you wake up. Um, well... Right at that moment when I was about to sink into a deep sleep, it's like uh, I had, it felt like, you know, kind of like vertigo. The bed was spinning and the room was spinning. Mm-hmm. And uh, next thing I knew, I felt this feeling of my spirit and my body pulling away from each other. It was like my body was pulling down and my spirit was up. Next, and I found myself on my back eventually uh, looking up towards the ceiling. I could look down and I could see myself floating above my bed and my body appeared to be resting peacefully. And yet here I was above my body floating. And uh, then I noticed above me this tiny bright light in in the darkness. And uh, I felt this love coming from it and I craved that. And then I felt that light pulling me towards it and at first I thought this is one of those kind of dreams where you're dreaming but you're aware you're dreaming you know yeah. and I thought man this is a really cool dream I'm just going to go with it because I craved that light and I wanted to feel that feeling and uh, then I was drawn up through the ceiling and I remember <laughs> I remember seeing the rafters and everything and being pulled up into the night sky and above the earth and it seems like i lost track of time but it seemed it seemed like we traveled for quite a while and then in the as i was that light brought me into this world that i could see this this sphere uh, some distant world out in the universe and it was surrounded by clouds and then the clouds parted like a tunnel and i it's like my body weight shifted, and instead of going up, I was now going down into this world. And the, as the clouds parted, I could see I was above um, a uh, grove of uh, a forest, you know, high up in the mountains, hmm. wherever this world was. Yeah. And was placed in a clearing in an aspen grove, and um, there I stood on one edge of the clearing. Uh, um, it was about a 25-30 foot radius clearing surrounded by aspens all the way around and there was a uh, organically straight and narrow path that went through the center of that clearing Um, it came from somewhere and went through the clearing and then went on beyond into the thicket of the forest wherever, wherever that was and I sensed that where it came from was possibly some higher, holier sphere, and 
where I stood was in some kind of a spiritual plane. It, it, I knew I wasn't on earth. And at that moment, I realized that my prayer had been answered. My spirit was there. There I was. And yet my body was asleep in bed, resting peacefully. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, I felt the separation, and yet I still felt the connection to it. And I, I sensed that that meant that this being in the spirit was only temporary, and I would at some point have no choice but to return back to my body. So that, that conduit or whatever it was, that connection was still open, and eventually I would, be, I would have to go back. And I thought, well, I'm going to, you know, make the best of it while I'm here. Because while I was in, in this garden, I, you know, they, they, it's beyond, it was beyond words. I couldn't really describe it. I, the, the feeling that I felt, the best description is the love of God. Mm-hmm. And if I could describe it in any other way, it's like when you feel the spirit, you feel that warmth in your chest. And the scriptures call that a burning in your bosom. Um, Think of a time when you felt that the strongest. Now magnify that maybe by a thousand times or 10,000. That's what the love of God felt like to me. And and so, therefore, it's beyond words. How do you describe that? Yeah. And um, while in this mountainous garden, I saw flowers and plant life that I had never seen before colors that I couldn't begin to describe, thousands of colors that I couldn't begin to describe because we don't have the color palette here. And being an artist, that intrigued me. Um, And uh, then I, uh, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) I, um, my wife just popped her head in (laughs) the bedroom where I'm at. You're fine. Yeah. Anyway, I, thought, well, okay, I'm just going to go to the other end of the grove and into that forest. I'm going to, I'm going to see what else I can discover. Um, I did notice, by the way, that the plant life, uh, it seemed like all the plant life had its own vibration. And that vibration made a, a sound. Each had their own sound. And you put it all together, and it was making this interesting, heavenly I can't describe the music, but it was in harmony, and the, the plants were swaying in rhythm to their to the uh, melody that they were creating together. And what I sensed from those vibrations, the plant life was praising God for the the purpose of their creation, and uh, you know expressing their joy continuously. I also could hear a distant angelic choir but I didn't see um, any angelic beings um, spiritual personages whatever but I could I sensed that they were there um, and then I so I went down the path and I was going to cross um, I was going to go into the edge of the other forest on the opposite side of that uh, clearing and just before I stepped out into the thicket of that forest um I sensed very powerfully that that was the point of no return. And if I stepped out there, you know, 
I would have no choice but to go back to mortality. I didn't want to. I wasn't ready to yet. I didn't want to leave that feeling that I was feeling of that love. Mm -hmm. And uh, to my left of the path, just inside that clearing, um, there was this large uh, boulder about uh, adult waist high. I knelt down and, and buried my face in my hands and leaned against that boulder and just began to sob because I was so afraid to go back and to face all that abuse again. And as I said, I was raised in a loving home, but outside my home, you know, I didn't want to face that again. Yeah. And so I was fighting it. And as I was sit, kneeling there, leaning against the stone, sobbing, I heard this voice from behind and a touch on my right shoulder. And the voice said, Russell, what's the matter? Why are you crying? What's wrong? And I turned and I saw this personage um, who, of light, and it looked like a, a person, but just filled with light. His, his hair was white, his beard was neatly trimmed and white. He had a robe on that the sleeves went down to his wrists and down to just above his ankles. And as an eight-year-old boy, my description of his eyes, um, I thought his eyes appear to be on fire, and yet they're not. And I could see eternity in his eyes, and I felt this love in his eyes, just total acceptance and pure, uh, pure love. And I was not afraid of this personage. And I identified him immediately before I saw the wounds in his hands and in his feet. I knew who he was. And he bent over to pick me up and take me into his arms. And as he did so, his rope fell open a little and I could see the wound in his side. And then he he carried me off. Um, I don't know if you call it fly, you know, lifted, or you could say carried in a pillar of light, as we were in a pure pillar of light in this in in the atmosphere above, in the cloud up up above, way in the distance, there was this city of light. And so we went that direction, and it seemed we uh, quite a quite a time, a long time. But like I say, there was no sense of time really. But eventually, we got close to this city of light, and the light itself seemed to be sending out vibrations and praise to God continuously. And the prism of light that it was sending out was all colors. And like I say, beyond here, beyond Earth, yeah. there are so many colors that you couldn't begin to imagine. Um, and we certainly don't have any way to describe them because there are no words for it. Uh, and and uh, I forgot to mention, while I was in that garden, I also witnessed the creation. I saw, I witnessed it, I experienced it I, like I was there. I saw how the world was, the universe was created and how all the worlds were created. And I understood it. It was like childlike, sim simple. And then of course, when I 
when I was brought back into my body and I uh, was awakened, at first I thought, well, I can't wait to tell my family all the things I learned. How, and then it was, oh, crap. It's, it, it was blocked. <laughs> you know, I don't remember a single thing. I just remember having this intellectual experience and knowledge beyond uh, any understanding here. Uh, anyway, um, so I was brought into this this city of light, and um, as we as we drew closer, it, it appeared to me it appeared all the buildings were like gold, and the wall around the city, the gate, the wall was gold, the gate was gold, and the streets were paved in gold. And there were two buildings in particular that seemed very familiar architecturally one was shaped like the salt lake temple and the one adjacent to it was shaped like the tabernacle and there then there were several other buildings um, in this vast city but those two i definitely recognized they were familiar and the savior brought me into the the building like the tabernacle and we were the only ones there and we we sat down on some pews about in the middle of uh, the tabernacle where he wanted to talk and ask me what was wrong. And I noticed to my right, you know how like in the old tabernacle, they have those those pillars that are full painted to look like marble. Yeah. In this uh, replica of the tabernacle, it was marble and the marble, um, I, don't, I, I don't, I'm not a geologist, so I don't know how to describe all those different layers of you know sediment colors they were moving wow. it, it, it was like it was alive and it was moving so it was animated and uh and i thought that was interesting but uh anyway um uh, the savior put his arm around me wiped my tears and said okay russell let's talk about it what's what's going on and i said well I said, well, not says, that's the idol sign. <laughs> I said, um, you know, I, I know I'm supposed to go back, but what if when it is my time to die and come uh, here, what if I'm not worthy? Uh, I've messed up so bad that I'm not worthy to come back. And I said, I was just baptized. My slate's clean. Why can't I just stay here now? <laughs> and I said, this is my home and I'm happy here. Um, I, I want to stay, and, and the Savior just kind of chuckled and said, Russell, you don't need to worry about that. I've taken care of it. And I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, because I love you, I died for you and all your brothers and sisters. He says, I, I, was will, I willingly let my body be marred because I love you, and all you have to do is obey my commandments, follow me and be a good boy and everything will be fine. And then he proceeded to reassure me. And it was like, it was like having an interview with Christ at that moment as an eight year old boy and also going back before I was born in the pre-earth life and witnessing, uh, having a re, re re-witnessing an interview I had with Christ before I was born. And I do believe mm -hmm. that each one of us 
before we come to earth, we have a personal interview, not with just anyone, but with Christ himself. And before we come here, we are very anxious. We're filled with so much anxiety because there's a lot of new things that, you know, mm -hmm. even though before we came here, I believed that we were taught, um, we were schooled. Okay, this is, these are some of the experiences that they have in mortality. And, you know, these are some of the things you're going to face and we're going to try to prepare you as much as possible. But we still, we hadn't experienced that yet in mortality, in the flesh, so we're very anxious. So I think all of us have that interview with Christ, and he tries to reassure us before we're born. So he proceeded to reassure me in other ways. He reminded me that, um, he said, Russell, you'll be, you'll be uh, born of good parents, and they will teach you the gospel. You'll be taught the gospel. And you will have a strong belief in God and in Jesus Christ and his atonement and um, his prophets. Um, and uh, also that uh, uh, he said, and he reminded me that I was baptized and I would have the Holy Ghost with me and the Holy Ghost would help me uh, um, uh, tell the difference between good and bad and uh, also warn me when bad things were about to happen and to stay close to the spirit and said to pray often and uh, then uh, he said Russell it's time for you to go back are you ready mm -hmm. um, you know still feeling anxiety I, I really didn't want to go and I was certainly enjoying that moment with Christ yeah. and uh but I accepted. I said, yes, I'm ready. Ma mainly because, he, as he reminded me of his atonement, I, and I knew I could trust him. And so I was reassured, and he says, okay, before you go, I want to make one last promise. I promise you that when you're going through some difficult times, um, I will always be there, and I will let you know from time to time that I am there, and you will get messages personally from me and you will know they are from me um, just to reassure you that I'm by your side and uh, so he brought me back to that beautiful heavenly uh, mountain garden grove and sat me down on that path on one end of the uh, clearing and I walked to the other end we're into the thicket of the forest where it got darker and then I woke up inside my body and that experience seemed to have, it seemed like it was either days or weeks, but it must have been at least the whole of the night because I woke up the next morning and it was daylight in my room. And uh, I, like I said earlier, that I, I uh, couldn't wait to tell my family about all the things I learned while I was on the other side. And then I realized it had been blocked from my mind. And at that morning at breakfast, uh, after breakfast, I waited until all the family members left and my mom was clearing the table. And I told her about my experience. And I said, Mom, what just happened? She said, I don't know, but I, it was from God. 
And I says, well, what does it mean? She says, I don't know, but someday you'll understand. <laughs> and then um, it wasn't until about a decade later I came across Raymond Moody's book, Life After Life. And I read those experiences in there, and I was blown away. It was like, well, this happened to me. This happened to me. This happened to me. You know, and yeah. it, I, I couldn't believe it. And it was like, well, but wait a minute. I didn't die. You know, um, so I didn't understand it. Now I realize is they uh, researchers have since Raymond Moody have, have done many interviews and more research. They they came to the realization that out of body experiences are more common. Um, and oftentimes they can parallel similarities with the near-death experience, except that the person didn't die, their body just separated from time. And uh, the scriptures refer to that as being caught up by the Spirit, carried away by the Spirit, and so forth. Yeah. Um, so that's essentially what happened. And then uh, <laughs> um, I went out in the mission field. I served in the LDS mission in the Bay Area. And while I was reading the Doctrine and Covenants for the first time, I had read the Book of Mormon um, from cover to cover, uh, I think about 12 or 15 times, so I knew it pretty well. Um, and then I, uh, as I was reading the Doctrine and Covenants, I came across section 110, where Joseph Smith and Oliver Calgary go behind the veil in the Kirtland Temple, and the Savior um, appears to them, accepts the their temp, the temple that they built, and it describes Christ as having the hair white as wool, and his voice was like the rushing of great waters, you know, and all that was uh, familiar to me, and then the description, his eyes were as a flame of fire. Mm -hmm. That's the first time I read that, I was like, well, that's, that's, that was the person, that's the description of the person that I witnessed. This is the man who held me in his arms. This, this was the Savior. And uh, um, then uh, uh, fast forward a little bit more. I was married and uh, uh, one time going through the Idaho Falls Temple. Well, they, when, when I got married, they were remodeling. Uh, they had done some remodeling in the Idaho Falls Temple prior to my going through, and they had dropped the ceiling down in the celestia room about 18 inches, which covered up a mural that was painted on the wall, a section of it, yeah. from the top. And had I seen that before, it would have blown me away. But uh, then um, they decided to, a few years later to to make some changes again and restore that mural, so they raised the ceiling back up to its original height and hired an artist to come in and touch that area up and restore what was there. And so I walked into the Celeste room and painted on the wall all around me was that experience that I had as a child. There it was painted on the wall. So we're men and women walk in in two separate doors and in between um, those doors painted on the wall was just aspen trees with the boulder next to it. And it was like, okay, this is, this is like a portal to two different spheres, the mortality and, and a spiritual plane. Mm 
And then across the room, directly across from where the men and women enter, were two ceiling rooms and painted on the wall. In between, again, was the same scene of aspen trees and a boulder. And then there were um, images of uh, angels painted to appear as, you know, spirits in heaven. And this was, of course, a rendition of what it might look like in a spiritual plane. But up in the right, upper right-hand corner, which was once covered, was painted, repainted back on the ceiling, on, on the wall, just below the ceiling. A city in clouds, and all the buildings were painted to appear as if they were gold, and two buildings were very familiar. One was the Salt Lake Temple and the Tabernacle. Oh, my goodness. And uh, so I went to the temple president afterwards. He was in his office, and I asked if I could come in and visit with him for a minute, and he invited me in. I shared my experience with him, and I said, or, and he said, Brother Ricks, First, I want you to know that you're not the first person that had this other experience. This experience, other people have come to us and shared a similar experience because of that mural. Hmm. And uh, I said, "Who are they?" He says, "I can't give you that information." Uh, I says, "I understand." And he said, "I also want you to know that." Uh, let's see. Oh, he said, he said, there are things that happen in these walls that are too sacred to share. Mm -hmm. um, he says they happen every day. And anyway, um, so that, that reassured me that, uh, you know, what happened to me as a child, that was not my imagination. Mm -hmm. And also, this was, the, I, I came to realize this was the Savior saying, Russell, just reminding you, I made that promise. I am right here and I'm letting you know that I love you, just as I said I would. And uh, so things like this have happened off and on throughout my life. And uh, I was married to my first wife for 15 years, and uh, a couple years after that marriage ended, um, I moved to Utah. Um, I didn't want to leave Idaho because my children live with their mom, and I didn't want to put my distance, you know, too much distance between um, my children and I and have this long distance relationship. Sure. I mean, we have a good relationship. It, you know, it can always be better, but, but we do have a good relationship. Um, so that's, that's great. But, uh, prior to the night, prior to my divorces, I was on my knees pleading with God to somehow fix the marriage. Um, the Lord let me know that there was a plan B. And he says, I have something waiting for you in Utah. And, and to my right, or, or to my left right now, sitting in the driver's seat in this car, is that plan B. My mm -hmm. wife of 22 years now. Um, so, um, anyway, and, and I had seven children from my first marriage. She had seven children, so we have 14 together. <laughs> and now 36 grandkids. Wow. So we're very blessed. Um, but uh, anyway... So I moved to Utah, and it was between the month of July and August. I was 37 years old. I was eight years old when I had that experience. So it had been about 31. It had been 31 years since my experience. And uh, I, I moved into a, an apartment that had a, a 
chapel on Main Street in Springville, uh, and the building is now burned down. It was an old historic chapel that had Gothic-style windows and beautiful artwork. And um, in the foyer, there was a relief a sculpture of Christ at the well with the Samaritan woman and, and paintings. So I felt, as an artist, I felt very much at home. Mm-hmm. And also being in, you know, you understand that living in Spring City, oh, the yeah. art community. Well, here I was in an art community in Springville, Utah. So, um, so when I moved into that ward, the, the sacrament meeting had ended, and so there was a gospel doctrine class that would soon start. I walked into the gospel doctrine class. I was the first person in there. I sat in the back. The teacher was still making last-minute preparations. And she walks up to me with a piece of paper and hands this to me, and obviously she wanted me to read that at some time during the class. Mm-hmm. I read what it said and just began to tremble, and I thought, I'm not going to be able to stand up and read this. <laughs> it was a quote from Edward Snow, a former apostle, early apostle, and... Uh, the lesson that week was on DNC section 110, the dedication of the Kirtland Temple and the miraculous events that happened that week um, of, after after the dedication or week of dedication. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Arasa Snow was in Utah in, in some uh, church meeting. I don't know what meeting it was. He stood up and bore his testimony, and among the things he said, he said... It has been 31 years since I heard the voice of the Savior in the temple. It had been almost exactly 31 years to the day. My, my birthday's in July. I was baptized somewhere towards the end of July, 1st of August. And 30, 31 years later, I moved to Utah right at the end of July, the first part of August. Yeah. I made several, I made three trips total right around that time. And then I walk into this building, and, and I stood up, and I read that quote. And uh, and I was trembling when I read it, because I realized this was another one of those times where the Savior said, Russell, I'm just letting you know, you're not alone. I know you're in a strange place, but I am right here by your side. Wow. And uh, that was not coincidence. Neither was that experience in the temple coincidence. And, uh, you know, I think back on why I had that experience. I mean, I just, I just wanted the Lord to answer my prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could have answered my prayer any way he chose that he felt was right for me, and I would have been satisfied with that answer. Um, this is the way he chose to answer my prayer, and I was brought to the other side. Apparently, he knew I needed that reassurance, and that was the best way. And, you know, I needed to feel loved. I did feel that from my parents, but um, the Lord himself brought me into his arms and allowed me to feel his love. (laughs) And uh, so when I had returned as a little boy and went to school, the abuse continued. But I had one thing that I didn't have before my experience, and that was the assurance that Christ was there with me, and I knew at least he loved me and that I could get through. So I've gone through a lot of difficult things in my life, divorce, 
the abuse that I struggled with, and even into adulthood, I struggled with uh, communicating. I was also born with a hearing loss, uh, uh, and I thought, that's got to be the reason why, but I see other people with hearing loss, and they seem to be socially well-adjusted. Mm-hmm. Well, at the age of 50, I, um, my, my youngest son was 13 at the time. He came to visit me in Utah and told me when he was seven years old, his mother had him, he was having difficulty in school. He was getting beat up. He was getting teased and so on. And I says, Jason, your story's just like mine. His mother had him go in for an MRI scan. His mother's a nurse. Mm-hmm. And in the MRI scan, Jason learned that he had complete agenesis of a corpus callosum. Um, and, and in in layman's terms, it just simply means his corpus callosum part of his brain was completely missing. Mm-hmm. And the corpus callosum sits in the middle of your um, brain between your left and right hemisphere, and it's supposed to provide an information passageway so information can, information can cross from one hemisphere to the next. And, but his is missing, and fortunately for him, his brain tried to reorganize itself while it was still in the womb and create random connections, so he is high-functioning, um, but it left some quirks, like the social delay. Right. Um, and uh, after he went home, I said to my wife, because we had struggled with communication, you know, this was, this was a, a big concern of hers and and uh, I said well you know what maybe it's genetic maybe I have the same thing that Jason has and I said maybe I need to get myself checked and she says yeah I think so um, so a couple of years later I was able to secure the funds to get an MRI scan and I didn't have insurance at the time but um, and sure enough I have the same thing and that answered, uh, you know, a lot of questions. Then I began to understand, okay, this explains it. And I was fortunate to get, uh, I worked with two therapists for a couple of years, and, and uh, now what was a stumbling block is not so much anymore, and I'm able to communicate quite well. And people really can't tell that I have this disability unless I bring it up and mention it. But uh, that, that was the whole reason why I had that, that trouble in school and, and struggled holding down regular jobs when I needed a regular job, uh, a second job. As a, you know, I, I'm an artist. Yeah. I had a side business for a while, but in Idaho. And uh, then I've had to have, uh, like, work at a warehouse or, you know, stuff like that. And uh, in the beginning, before I um, was tested, uh, before I had my MRI, I would get a job and it would last a few weeks or a, a month and then they'd fire me. Mm-hmm. And it was just so frustrating. Yeah. But uh, anyway, um, I am not angry that I that I was created this way. I was created this way for a reason and I believe it's because God wants me to learn from the experiences and, and share what I've learned and, you know, help others and help reassure them that it's, it's, life isn't hopeless because you have this struggle you can you know it it doesn't have to define who you are and there and it doesn't have to be a stumbling block and that god does love you 
and he certainly watches out for you and, and cares about you. So yeah. that, that's basically my story. <laughs> that is so beautiful. And and Thanks. I can just say too, um, you know, it this is so characteristic in terms of like some of the details and so forth that you give of even some of the most death like you know where where somebody is like on the table and they code they're not breathing they're not you know and they're they're out even go to the morgue sometimes before coming back and your experience is right perfectly in line with the kind of experiences that they are having so you know that in terms of it not being something that was you know your heart never stopped or anything like that that doesn't even hardly mean anything this experience is absolutely consistent with other things i've heard and and what an incredibly remarkable experience it was you know one of the things that stands out to me is just just beautiful is is how you had this experience talking with the savior directly and and you have this experience, and, and as you mentioned, if I remember right, um, that you feel like we each had an opportunity to talk with him before coming. I think yeah. that is so cool because, you know, as one who has not had my own near-death experience of any kind, but hearing from so many of these, there's a tendency, or there's a temptation to feel like, oh, I wish I was so loved as to experience this but but you know from what you're saying and what from what other things i've heard this is everybody's experience it's just a matter of whether we remember it in this life or not you know and yeah. that yeah. actually probably doesn't yeah, matter for most people I'm yeah privileged to re-experience it and i also want to say to those who say i wish i had the same kind of experience right. or something like that God gives each one of us what we need, and uh, I, you know, I wasn't certainly wasn't expecting when I when I prayed and asked God to take it away. I certainly wasn't expecting to have the experience I had. Right. You know, my, I had no idea that those kind of things even could possibly happen that way. But uh, that's what He gave me because I believe. I needed to feel that love because I, you know, I felt so unloved outside my home, and I needed that reassurance and that love. And what a better way to do that than to bring me into it. Right. And uh, but for someone else, um, and but then when I came back, he didn't take that away. You know, some people will come back and they're, let's say, they had cancer before they died. They died, and then they were sent back, and they're cancer free. Yeah. Um, you know that happens sometimes. Mm -hmm. God gives us what we need, and part of and what I mean by that too is we're here to have experiences and learn from those experiences. And uh, everyone is different. God, every personality is different, and God knows each of, of us individually what experiences best suit our needs, and uh, and how we how we could grow from those experiences and so wishing that we had a near-death experience when maybe god could give you something that would benefit you better and help you become the person that he knows you have the potential to be um let god give you those experiences that you need yeah 
I love what, what you said about uh, giving us what we need, too, because, um, and, and as you're describing, you know, discovering the condition that you had, it reminded me of my own experience of learning at age 35, just seven years ago, that, that I have ADHD, and um, I'd kind of heard of it as a kid. I had friends that I knew had had it. I really didn't know anything about it, but it was, a, it was totally an eye-opener thing for me, um, to, looking back at my childhood, I'm like, Oh my gosh, that explains so much, and things yeah. made sense. It was it was an eye opener. You know, well, go ahead. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say that um, you know while struggling with this, one of the reasons that I went to go to a doctor to say what's going on with me is because of many of the struggles that I've had, and and among uh, because of ADHD, and and one of the uh, the things uh you might say symptoms of adhd is jumping from one thing to the next and just kind of always being on the go and um i was i was one day in the temple um just praying and asking not not in an angry way like you know why'd you do this to me kind of thing but but just kind of praying saying this has been really hard what what is the purpose behind it what do you want me to learn from it and and in just just the sweetest quietest feeling inside it was it was as if i felt i didn't hear but i felt the voice say i needed you or i needed someone who would be ready to move when i need them to move and to me that was just like it was just like this from you know it's like he there was an absolute purpose behind this from the beginning and and to me that was such a reassurance that that this isn't just, I mean, yes, there are accidents of nature and things that happen that, that lead to conditions and so forth, but that doesn't mean they're without purpose. It, the the right. Lord knows what he's doing with us, and that's, right. yeah. Uh, or maybe the Lord, you know, the Lord could easily take it away, but he maybe says, oh, well, this happened, he was born this way, he can, yeah. learn, he can learn from this, this is a good thing, so we'll just let, you know, that's right. We'll we'll let him play this out and see what he learns from this, and and in the end, he'll be blessed for it. Yeah. Um, so, um, um, in the spectrum of ACC, that also includes um, uh, autism. Uh, you know, and and you know, it has a very broad spectrum. Uh, in the research that's been done, only maybe in the last twenty five years, so it's fairly new research. Uh, They've now discovered that all, nearly all neurological disorders and mental illnesses, um, the corpus callosum is the key. There's something not normal with that corpus callosum, and it's it's the key that's likely causing all these different disorders. And ACC, I mean ADHD, is probably right in there with it somewhere. Probably. Yeah. I, I was diagnosed with ADHD for a while. Um, and uh, then a more clear diagnosis, diagnosis was with the MRI, MRI, and you know they found out exactly what it was. And when the radiologist brought the, I said I wanted to see the X-rays and have a copy and take it home for myself. He brought those in to me after um, uh, he got the X-rays back, and um, he says, you know. I've seen pictures of this in books before, but I've never actually met someone with with ACC. I would have thought that you would have been a complete vegetable. Oh, wow. And I says, well, I can answer that. That's pretty easy. 
less is more. I'm an artist. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I don't need one. That's and, right. And, and then I said, I'm an artistic savant. <laughs> if you know what a savant is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, artistic absolutely. savant. Well, I'm an artistic savant. <laughs> you got to be able to joke about it. That's right. But, uh, That's right. Yeah. You know that bring, that that brings up another question I was curious about um because um you are an artist and uh and in fact um I just briefly is your is your website for your art is it still the painting the heart of america dot wordpress dot com oh, uh, no no um I have a new website and I've got to go back in and update it it's russellricksfineart.com okay uh, russellricksfineart.com okay, Russell and my Instagram russellricks underscore art okay that's where I'm posting most of my work right now okay I, I do want to bring that up so people could check out your art I was curious awesome. though if and, and uh, my book by the yeah. way um, remember a little boy's near death experience yes and I do want to encourage um, people to check this out it's this is actually how um, Russ and I met in the first place. We have the same publisher, um, and uh, Russ's book. You do remember. Remember? I was if yeah, you did. yeah, I do. A, a I do. Years ago. That's right. And um, and so you know, Russ wrote the book. Remember a little boy's near death experience. I believe you can probably find it on Amazon and other places, but it's also on cedarfort.com, which is yeah. the publisher's website. Um, but yeah, I was, I was going to ask also, have you ever tried in your art to portray any of the things that you saw on the other side? Yeah, yeah, I've pretty well given up. <laughs> I mean, like I say, we don't have those colors here. Yeah, you don't have to paint um, for it. <laughs> I've done, um, now the aspen tree has become a safe, sacred object to me. I've done paintings where I've tried to paint that scene. Uh, as good as I could and give it some kind of spiritual quality and I think some have succeeded um, and uh, you may find something like that on my Instagram page or website as you scroll down um, um, also see there was something else I wanted to no I can't remember never mind yeah. <laughs> you can edit that out <laughs> you're fine uh, maybe, maybe I'll think of it um, shoot yeah, there was there was something else I was curious about. Uh, you know, a, a couple of things actually. You you talked about how your memory was taken. What was it? Your memory that was taken, or just um, certain aspects of it? And and at what point did it come back, or did it come back in full? Oh, oh, you mean you know it was my memory was blocked of uh, the part where I experienced the creation. Okay. I remember thinking during that experience when I was having the experience, man, I can't wait to tell my family. <laughs> and and I, I was thinking, you know, I'm smarter than the scientists on Earth. Look what I'm experiencing. <laughs> and it's so simple to understand. And, and they're not even close. You know, and, and then I, as I woke up, or as I came back, it was like, uh, oh, what was that? I know I had that experience, but what exactly happened? What I do remember... What seems to stand out is I know it was done by the power of faith and God's priesthood. Those are the two things that seem to, you know, it was made possible because of those two things. Um, and uh, that's that's what I remember from it. But I, I remember experiencing 
um, watching the the universe come into being and the earth being created. And um, I was, I mean, I was, I was there. It was like I was right there. I was right in the middle of it, um, experiencing the whole thing. Um, but the details of it, trying to go back and say, this is how it happened. This is why it happened. This is the process by which it happened. Um, I, I could not, you know, which... I, I couldn't begin to put that into words at all. Other than I just know, know that I had that experience and that's all I could remember. Which is totally consistent with other people's experience because they'll get this grand, incredible knowledge and they come back and they're like, it's gone. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> and you know, and when I wrote my book, my goal was to, I wanted to express it. You know, I wanted to be descriptive as much as possible, but I didn't want to over-embellish it, you know, and, yeah. and polish it beyond what it really was. Yeah. So I, I basically tried to tell it in a, in, from the view and words of a little boy. Russ, I just want to thank you so much for this. What an incredible experience. What a, what a blessing. Uh, people are going, to be, are, are going to be really touched by this experience. I know I have been today. So well, thanks. Gonna... Well, it was good touching back with you again. I've, I've wondered about you ever since we first met. Yes, and I'm glad you reached out to me because this, this means a lot to me. So I just thank you so much again, Russ. Yeah, you too. Okay, take care. Yeah, you as well. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Oh, wow. Wow. Thank you so much, Russell Ricks, for uh, sharing this experience with us. I could have talked to Russ for hours on end. So thank you for being here. I would also like to reiterate to those listening, uh, both places that you can find Russell Ricks, um, his art you can find at russellricksfineart.com. That's one word, russellricksfineart. And also you can go to Amazon to find Russ's book, Remember a Little Boy's Near-Death Experience, where he shares his experience. And you, Or you can go to cedarfort.com. That's the publisher's website um, to find Russ's book. One of the messages that really stands out from Russ's experience and his words, is that the Lord is absolutely both aware of and intimately connected with the individual lives of every single one of us. There's not one of us on this earth, not one person who was ever born or even failed to be born. And I say that because I know that there are many of us who have had miscarriages, um, and so forth. Every life absolutely matters to God. Every single life has a purpose. Every single life has meaning. And you are loved. You are loved beyond anything that you can possibly imagine. That is confirmed in these experiences, in Russ's account, over and over and over again. It's who we are. We can't escape it. We are loved beyond anything that we can imagine. And frankly, there's nothing you can do about it. You are so loved. That's who we are. We are eternal beings who are loved by the creator of the entire universe. And that should give every one of us courage to continue, strength 
to keep going and to make the best of these amazing purpose-filled lives that we have even when they don't feel that way. Russ talked about times of, of struggle where the only place he felt any love was at home from his parents. Every Everywhere outside of, of home with school and kids and, and so forth, it just felt disconnected and, and that there were things going on medically, um, mentally, that, that he was not aware of until, you know, much, much later. And we all have these kind of experiences, things that that just make our lives hard. But there is purpose behind it, and there is a deeper love behind it than we could possibly know right now. And it's okay that we don't know, because God does. And he's with us every step of the way. And with that, thank you all again for listening. Chaz and I thank you for listening to Near Death Experience Podcast. You can reach out to your hosts by using Chaz, C-H-A-S, at ndepodcast.org and John, J-O-H-N, at ndepodcast.org. You can text or call the show at 970-633-2278. That's 970 970- NDE cast calling allows you to record your message in three minute increments if your message runs longer than three minutes just call back and we can splice the segments together follow us on Twitter Instagram and Facebook by searching NDE podcast on those sites and join our Facebook NDE podcast community Please leave feedback for the show on iTunes or via whatever application you use to listen to us. Doing so will allow our audience to grow and help spread the knowledge about spiritually transformative experiences to more listeners. You can help keep the show financially viable by purchasing Chaz's music or his book under the store link on the ndepodcast.org website or by going to patreon.com slash ndepodcast where you can make a one-time only donation or become an ongoing supporter. Whether you decide to write or call us or you choose to support the show either financially or by writing a review or by listening and sharing us with others, we are so humbly thankful for you. We can't begin to express how much touching you spiritually means to us. Chaz and I thank you for joining us. We hope you keep listening and applying the understanding you gain from the show about your existence after this earthly life so you have a better life right now. And to love one another. This is your host, John Messer, reminding you that it's all about attitude and gratitude. And our attitude should always be love.